Today's show is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. If you want to look good when you step out in the morning or you have an event coming up, go to Cufflinks.com slash DVR today. And from January 3rd to the 12th, it's winter clearance. 20% off sale price. Use code WINNER20. Now, you know what? Cufflinks.com is good for any season. They've got all the great geek stuff you like, whether it's Rise of the Skywalker, they got Avengers, they got NCAA, NBA, NFL, all that kind of cool stuff, plus the wearable art, classic, good-looking cufflinks, ties, all the stuff that you need. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today, use code WINNER20 to save 20% off, support our sponsor cufflinks.com, a family-owned company just like DVR Podcast, baby. Go to cufflinks.com today. Today is Friday, January 10th, 2020, and this is Daily DVR. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Got a very special episode for you today. Last night, I was building a Gundam model, as I'm oft to do. Um, really nice one, too. Uh, Epion, I think it's pronounced. Um, anyway, uh, I finished the uh, eighth episode of The Circle because I love that show on Netflix. If you all have not watched The Circle on Netflix, it's a crazy, weird social media experiment reality show that is well worth your while. It's a lot of fun. Um, but I, uh, went over to HBO go. I don't know why on the Xbox. I said, you know what? I'm going to watch inception. I haven't seen this film all the way through in, I don't know, good number of years. Um, maybe it's because I recently went to see rise of Skywalker but um, I saw Inception in the theater the week it came out. Um, I was super excited about seeing it. Of course, you know the film stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ellen Page, Tom Hardy, Ken Watanabe, Dilip Rao, Cillian Murphy, Tom Berenger, Marianne Cotillard, Pete Postlewaite, Michael Caine, and Lucas Haas, that is the general gist of it all, with Leonardo, of course, being our hero. Or is he, is the question of Inception. Um, I remember seeing this film in the theater, and we, for some reason, we were getting popcorn, or I had to, <clears throat> excuse me, I had to go to the bathroom, I don't remember what happened, but for me, the movie started when he was already talking to Ken Watanabe inside the big um, kind of castle he had erected after his, you know, decades of being caught at the lowest level of the dream cycle um, limbo. And I didn't see the part of Leonardo washing up on the beach. I missed kind of the whole beginning of the film and the little and what he says too, because that's very important to his narration. Um, so I had to rewatch it, and when I rewatched it, I guess because it was like as soon as it came out on Blu-ray, which was a little bit longer period of time. Of course, in 2010, the windows closed by a month or more. Um, I was kind of like, oh, you know, I had seen it and I don't know if I was paying attention. So basically, long story short, I feel like last night was the first time I really sat and watched Inception and analyzed it and understood what this film was about. Um, of course, directed by the man, the myth, the legend, Christopher Nolan. Man, I remember way back in the day hearing about The Following, which was his first film that he did with his brother. Um, and then his subsequent films, I mean, I've always loved Christopher Nolan. He has that Kubrick-esque quality to him. Um, he's obsessed with sci-fi and weird things. And his new film, Tenant, which is being described by some as a time-traveling Inception, 
uh, is fascinating to me as well. But this film in particular, Inception, I kind of felt was his masterpiece of genre. Um, because his recent foray, his recent film that he did, um, Dunkirk, I kind of feel like this was his best film overall. Um, Interstellar was a little bit of a step back for me. I felt that he was trying to capture, like recapture Inception, that same kind of feeling. And it just didn't work for me, Interstellar. Maybe I should watch that again. Um, but I under, I think I understood Interstellar a lot better than I understood Inception. The idea of a group of criminals who have basically stolen U.S. Army technology that was originally used to simulate combat scenarios and train soldiers to be more efficient killers. This is how it's explained in the film. Um, then use the criminals use this for basically corporate espionage in order to convince Cillian Murphy that he should break up his father, Pete Postlewaite's corporation, because Ken Watanabe has hired these this crew. Because he believes, as he explains to Leonardo DiCaprio, if this company is not broken up, they're going to swallow up the world and basically become like a government, right? Um, there's a little bit of – Chris Nolan's uh, politics are always interesting to me too. He, he seems to have – just be a guy who attaches himself to certain ideas – without being able to be categorized in a certain, sometimes his, his opinions seem a bit as we Americans would see conservative, sometimes liberal. You know, I mean, in other countries, other places, these, these words mean the opposite. Um, isn't that the game overall? Right. But I think that um, it's interesting to think about it in those terms, that that's the setup of the movie, right? One billionaire or quadrillionaire, because little details pop up. Like they say, um, we're going to need to you. We're what, how are we going to get Cillian Murphy alone for 10 hours without arousing any suspicion? We're going to have to kidnap him. He's going to, and that, that defeats the purpose of implanting an idea inception in his mind, because it's originally called extraction, Right. The way people use this technology in this world is traditionally and really only to take out pieces of information. The idea being that the human mind automatically will create in a virtual world because, I mean, you could just replace computers for dreams in this movie. I think that's the best way to actually understand this movie is that he just took the idea of virtual reality and turned it into dreams, which humanizes it. And for our intents and purposes, which is really to explore loss, right? The loss of a loved one um, and how you deal with that. Um, it's really genius. I mean, it's, it's really brilliant. And uh, it, it, when that kind of occurred to me as I was watching it too, I was like, wow, this is really interesting. I wonder if there's an early version of this script where this was virtual reality. Um, anyway, the idea that uh, the billionaire, because as I was saying, there's a point in the script where they say, "We're how are we going to keep him for 10 hours? We need a plane. And then he said, and then our, uh, our man, Tom Hardy says in his strange voice, he always has to have weird voices. I love that about him. That's such, so actorly. I love that. He's like, he to every two weeks, he takes a flight from uh, uh, Malaysia or something to New York. I can't remember what it was. Uh, or Tokyo to New York or something. It's 10 hours. It's a longest nonstop intercontinental flight. And, and then they go, well, we're going to need to pay off this and this. And then Ken Watanabe's just like, well, I bought the airline. 
I figured we might, I knew this already and I bought the airline, which is when I, my first suspicion, my suspicions arose and I have an alternate theory to this entire movie that I'm going to get to (laughs) probably why I'm doing this podcast. Um, So this billionaire wants to prevent another billionaire from being a bigger billionaire, but it's, but he has, his reasons are good. You know, he doesn't want him to control too much <laughs> because as a billionaire who can buy an airline, you're not already in that position. So kind of the supposition of the film is interesting, you know, it's kind of interesting and it, 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 it plays into my overall idea, which is that the whole thing was an incep- a different inception. Um, and I haven't looked too deep on this online. I want to kind of talk about it on a podcast before I, I've looked at other articles, but not this particular, I haven't seen this particular idea represented though. I'm sure it is the movies nine years old and this is the internet. Um, but so that's our, our basic thing here, right? A billionaire wants to stop another billionaire. So he hires this guy, Leonardo DiCaprio, who is deeply flawed, deeply flawed. He has lost his wife in the beginning of the film. When it starts out, we start out at the end or do we? And then we're brought kind of back into the beginning, the inception of this, of the idea of this whole caper, his last caper. So the real setup, Leonardo DiCaprio, our hero, his wife has died. How has she died? She has died because both he and her, went so deep into the dream state limbo that they stayed there for like 50 years because there is an equation that's given to you briefly in the film in Mubasa where it's explained that the stronger the medication you take to go under, the deeper you will go And the deeper you go, the slower time goes. So the basic kind of tenant, to use a phrase of his next movie, uh, is for every five minutes you're under, it's an hour in dream time. You feel your body, right, feels that you are awake for an hour if you are in the you are in this incept this machine the dream machine we'll call it because it's not an inception machine that's just that that is a technique the dream machine that the U.S. Army developed which is also a, just one line in the movie um, that's the ratio but if you go deeper it gets more so five minutes could be a day five minutes could then on the next level. Five minutes is a week. On the next level, it's this. And when you get to limbo, and the reason why they call it limbo is because the time between reality and dream is unknowable. You could be there for a week. You could be there for 10 years. You could be there for 50 years. So that is something that becomes very important in the film because they soon discover that in order to convince Cillian Murphy to perform this inception, they have to go as deep as they can go or else his subconscious will recognize that he's been interfered with, not only because of his natural subconscious, but because he, as a billionaire guy, has been trained by other people who use this dream machine to protect himself, okay? Not only, which we see soon in, as soon as, the, as soon as this journey begins, which again, so brilliant, Christopher Nolan, I mean, it's just a caper movie, right? And he uses the old caper technique as, as soon as they start explaining it, they're doing it. And not only are they doing it, but we just never kind of really go back to, it's just, it's, they're doing it and it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. That's why the film is so, man, I really love this movie. 
watching again. And I haven't even got to talking. I don't know how much I'll spend on the cinematography. Um, it just, this, the, the action scenes, which is an interesting part of also thinking about this movie is why is there so many action scenes in a movie about this guy's dream and how, what that says about, I guess the masculinity represented in the film, perhaps that's a different subject. Um, but it is an interesting thing to think about. But anyway, in order to go down this far safely without losing their minds, they go to Mombasa and they, uh, have, they, uh, you, they, um, meet up with, uh, what's the guy's name here, who I thought was kind of like sneaky, great performance, um, in this movie, Dilip Rao. Um, he, uh, has formulated a compound, which is what all he says, a compound that allows you to go deeper and deeper and deeper. But there is a side effect here. The side effect is that it changes the rules. The normal rule is that if you're in a dream state and you want to wake up, you kill yourself or you have someone else kill you and you'll immediately wake up. But if you are using this compound, if someone kills you, you're so far under that your, con- your subconscious uh, will basically take over and you will be pulled down into limbo. Instead of going up into consciousness, you get pulled down into limbo because you're so, you're basically physically under the influence of such a heavy drug, uh, or mixture, concoction, whatever, again, that word that he used, compound. Um, So this sets up a scenario in which our heroes, no matter what obstacle they come to, they must progress or else they will die. There's the fear of death. So interesting that that's set up. This is just so brilliantly written. Now, the key to the entire film is, of course, Leonardo DiCaprio and his relationship with his wife and children. When he and his wife, we find out in the film that, in fact, the only person who has ever successfully done an inception, right, which is the implanting of an idea in which the person then believes that they are the one who created it inside a dream he incepted his own wife to get her out of limbo. While they were in that 50 years of limbo, he realized that this was endless. They were never going to see their children. But for all intents and purposes, they could have just been sitting up there for 5, 10, 15 minutes, a couple days, whatever, um, in their room holding hands with each other in this interesting pose that's created. It made me think of the OA. But he realizes that this is nowhere and she doesn't. She is comfortable there because what she has done is she has hidden her idea of reality inside this world in order to not kind of go insane. This is kind of an interesting and perhaps other someone may interpret say that I'm not interpreting that correct, but. In order to find that you are in reality, you have a totem, um, an object that grounds you. This is actually common in um, so many different cultures, but also in therapy. People often have objects. uh, If you have uh, anxieties, um, depression, things like that. Oftentimes, uh, a totem, an object is something that makes you feel safe, right? That grounds you. It's a similar thing as if they say when you are on a boat and you're experiencing uh, dizziness, right? Nausea, seasickness, to look at the horizon. It grounds you. Same thing if you like, you think about being in outer space, there is no up or down. You have to choose that. It's subjective. Um, so, 
You need something that's wholly subjective, an object that only you touch, only you know the feel of, right? For Cobb, Leonardo DiCaprio, it becomes this little spinning, uh, little spinner thing, whatever you call it. Um, a dreidel, really. That's what I thought it was. Um, for others, like we, we actually only see two other objects. We see um, Ellen Page, Ariadne, which an interesting name, her object, which is like a chess piece. And we see Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who is so fantastic in this film, Arthur. His object is a weighted dice, a weighted die. Like he's into Dungeons and Dragons. Um, now, what Cobb's wife, Marion, Marion Cotier, Mal, she takes this, her object, which becomes his. And that's an interesting thing to consider here, right? She takes it and she hides it away in a replica of the home she grew up in, in this city that they created in Limbo. He realizes that the only way to incept her inside of this dream and convince her to get out of limbo is to take that object, right? Touch it, hold it, change it. And she will now not be able to tell the difference between reality and non-reality even though in a sense she's already done that by hiding it away that's something that i think that i mean this is all made up i think i could argue people could argue that that who really this for this particular inception she incepted herself by putting that in there right and locking that away she gave up rights to it she no longer wanted to know what was real or not. She was, in effect, she was taking control and letting the and and giving the object away. But of course, in this sense, that lack of control meant that she would accept non-reality as reality. But then again, what is reality? We got to get Thack Daddy involved in this. So he touches the object. He takes it. It becomes his. He incepts her with the idea here in this limbo, because they can't go any further, right? He can't go another level to incept her. He can't go into her dream. She's in a dream. She doesn't dream. Um, it's a, just a continuous reality that the only way she can wake up, she is not, it, this is not real. So he basically undoes the inception she incepted herself and convinces her this is not real. But since they're so far under, when they wake up, when they lie down on a railroad track holding hands, which is why we see that famous shot of the train coming through the scene in the, in the film, um, kind of the beginning of their journey, that's just the first level. Um, they wake up and she's still obsessed with this idea. She no longer can tell what reality is. So she kills herself. She sends a letter to their lawyer. <laughs> this movie takes place in a world where people just, you know, my lawyer um, sends a letter to her lawyer saying that he was hurting her, beating her. She was afraid for the children. If she dies, he killed her. So the U.S. government, the authorities believe that he killed his wife. He cannot see his children and he has not seen his children in many years. Many, how many years it is, we don't know. So he's not seen his children. So she continually appears throughout our story. Why does she appear throughout our story? She appears throughout our story because though Ellen Page is brought in on the team to create these worlds, the person who inhabits the world is the dreamer. And what Leonardo DiCaprio's talent is, is being the dreamer, is, cre is filling that world, right? So basically Ellen Page is the architect. 
And he is the interior designer in a sense, right? He, including people, manifestations, apparitions, projections that are not real. Throughout the film, we only meet are the really the only real people we kind of come in contact with for most of the film are our heroes, are the stars of the film. And Cillian Murphy kind of is part of that in a way. He's not really, um, I don't know that who really is the antagonist of this film because Cobb in a sense is, he's both the protagonist and the antagonist because since he is the one filling these worlds so he can have some control over it, right? And the manifestations as well. And also guiding people through it. In certain levels, there are other levels, other people. You can only have one dreamer per level, though an architect can create many levels of a dream. Um, his Cobb is such a smart guy and he knows the way around it. And obviously, since he's the only one who ever incepted anyone, which we've already discovered is not true, she incepted herself. And what what he did is kind of, she was the first one to do it. He kind of redid it, but they, but really when she came out, she wasn't, my belief is she was not incepted by him. She was incepted by herself. She was the one who locked her totem away. She made the decision to incept. So the idea is really, it does as we find out in the case with Cillian Murphy and as Tom Hardy, who was brought in as, uh, as the man of disguise, the, um, the chameleon, he can become, he can convince someone subconscious that he is someone else inside of their dream. But he's also a forger of, uh, of documents, but of realities as well. Um, and one of the things that uh, that uh, Tom Hardy brings uh, brings into this, um, and that uh, that affects the way that we view the relationship uh, between Cobb and his wife, and why she keeps on appearing uh, inside of this world, is because. He is the one who very early on in their conversations recognizes that Cobb cannot control himself. He, when he is inside these dreams, his subconscious is so strong that it takes over and inserts pictures of his children, his wife, his own subconscious into it. Because Ellen Page discovers that he has basically trapped the memory of his wife inside of his own subconscious. He can control his own mind to such a degree that he can go, he uses the machine by himself to go down into these different levels of his own consciousness. And basically his consciousness and, and his subconscious can communicate with each other. So he's that kind of a, a whole, a whole different level of understanding within this world of the inception. And that is why they use him and why he's part. That's the premise of why he's part of this movie. Take a little break to tell you about cufflinks.com. And I want to give another special shout out to Ben, James, and Kim, who won our last big cufflinks giveaway. And there's more to come. I've got great products from cufflinks.com to give to you. And you know what you can give to us? your time. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Use code winner20 and you could get amazing savings. 20% off. It's the winter clearance sale from January 3rd to the 12th. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today and stay tuned because we've got lots of great cufflinks giveaways coming your way right here on the DVR podcast network, baby. Do it. One of the best parts about podcasting is getting to know the listeners and making new friends. And one of those friends is Andy. You may have heard me mention him before on one of our many podcasts. And Andy and his wife, Claire, are looking to adopt. So if you or anybody you know is considering adoption for their baby, please consider the loving family of Andrew and Claire. 
They're a home study approved adoptive family of three living on a farm in southern Minnesota with a dog, Barney, and two turtles. They're able to adopt from anywhere in the United States and would love to answer any questions you may have. To learn more about them, check out their Facebook page at Andrew and Claire Adopt or on Instagram at Andrew underscore and underscore Claire underscore Adopt. You can also email them at Andrew and Claire Adopt at gmail.com. So again, if you or anyone you know is considering adoption for their baby, reach out at Andrew and Claire Adopt at gmail.com. Thanks. Because now I'm, I'm kind of getting to my point here which is we have one level. There is uh, corporate information that must be obtained, the billionaires. We have the other level. They're going to use a dream machine to incept an idea inside of Cillian Murphy, right? We have the other level. Cobb, who is a part of the team, the head of the team and a master of inception who also through his wife and I had neglected this, this is so complicated, but I neglected to mention that the way of course that Michael Caine plays into it is he is his father-in-law. He is Leonardo DiCaprio's father-in-law and he is kind of the, maybe you'd say the, uh, in, not inventor, but the master of all of this. And he kind of taught his daughter and Cobb. So you have a family lineage too. That's a little, that's a level that goes through it uh, as well. So you have that whole family level, Cobb, his wife and all that. You have <laughs> another level, uh, which is the idea that I'm going to introduce, which is that this, none of this is real. And this entire film is Cobb incepting himself inside limbo, which he never escaped to convince himself, not that the world is not real, but that it is. And that is why we get the famous ending where he spins the top, he turns to go, he walks away from it without looking at it, he gives it up just as his wife gave it up and walks to his children after seemingly they have completed their mission, they have convinced Cillian Murphy that he should break up his father's company. Why? Because his not for a bad reason as Tom, this is uh, 20 minutes ago when I was getting into Tom Hardy and I kind of digressed into Leonardo. But what Tom Hardy says is that inside of a dream, using a negative reason for change does not work. Using an, um, uh, the way he describes it is like an anti using anti not social, but oh, I'm losing the word here using a negative emotion. I'm going to say instead of a positive emotion won't work trying to get someone revenge. I think is the word he uses revenge will always lose to growth. So if they had gone into Cillian Murphy's dream, trying to convince him you need to break up your father's company because your father didn't love you and you need to do out of spite, you need to destroy his vision. It would not have worked. But if they, but instead what they did is convince him that his father actually loved him and was just being hard on him, right? He just really, what he wants him to do is be his own man and he, 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 he's not disappointed in him. He's disappointed that he pushed his son so hard that his son is still trying to live up to it. That's what he's disappointed with. He's disappointed with their relationship, the way it turned out, not in his son himself. 
And really thus, then the father is disappointed in himself for the way he treated his son. So what Cillian Murphy needs to do is break up the corporation so he can be free. So he can be on his own, make his own way. He's still going to be a freaking bazillionaire, but he's got to create his own thing. And that is what they wanted in the beginning. So in that sense, is that not what Leonardo DiCaprio is doing in this entire fucking movie? Trying to convince himself there's a, there's when finally we get the kind of ultimate, I guess it's really the the kind of the the huge fight scene of this movie takes place in an intimate conversation um between Leonardo DiCaprio and Marianne Cotier uh where he explains to her I have to let you go and at the same point Ellen Page so crazy the way they do this um <laughs> because Cillian Murphy is shot by her in one level of the dream, he's still alive, but he dropped down to the limbo. His consciousness dropped down so they can still go and rescue him. But who's down there holding him hostage? Cobb's ex-wife, right? Her, she are uh, not. Well, I guess it's, do you, do you say ex-wife when, the, when they died? I don't know. That's interesting. I never thought about it that way. Former wife. Uh, so he explains that to her and Ellen Page kicks Cillian Murphy off a, <laughs> off of a, a roof and he just is then jumped awake up to the next level. I love how they do this. Um, and then she herself jumps off too, but he decides to stay. And in this deep conversation, he explains, I have to let you go. Um, I have to move on because also I have to save Ken Watanabe, who also died at that same level that Cillian Murphy did and dropped down to limbo. And since time will go on, you know, the moments that they're even having that conversation, Ken is aging, has been in there for, you know, generations or whatever, 10 or 20 years. Um, But that pivotal conversation in which he explains that he needs to let her go that he loves her and he explains also that he, this is where we find out that he did the inception on her, I think is a really key point here because that's when I came to that realization that I thought along the way okay, there's more to this. There's a, there's got to be another level. We got to flip this. And that's when I became convinced that he never left limbo and that he's incepting himself with the good idea, right? He takes, he takes responsibility for something that he didn't do because he didn't do it. He did not, he never incepted her, right? He convinced her that they, that it wasn't real, but she already had that notion. Like I'm convinced myself that she had already incepted herself. Um, it was really beautiful the way that that all comes to a head there. Um, and he lets that go and explains that to her, she's still kind of her, his idea of her, because he's speaking to himself the whole time, they're inside of his consciousness, because that's where she came from to get, how did Cillian Murphy go out of that dream into, there's parts of it that you got to just believe, (laughs) right? But it does, a lot of it really works. It's very intriguing. Um, Basically, I love this movie, uh, and that kind of dawned upon me. The whole part where he goes back and saves him 
is a way of incepting himself into wake into believing that he woke up. Um, the whole thing is amazing. Uh, that's how I'll choose now to see this film. If this whole conversation even made sense, I didn't take any notes. This was stream of conscious little podcast here. This has been enjoyable. Um, I, that's the way I choose to see this film. Perhaps I'll talk it out a little bit more. Is it that he never got out of the limbo? Is it that he's sitting in a room somewhere and his wife had died and then he just hooked himself back up to a machine knowing he could never get back to America and he invented this scenario of someone hiring him in order to do this? Could it be, I mean, there's so many other ideas that you could have from this film because of the way it's written, the way that the rules are just explained as you go along. It reminded me a lot of Watchmen, actually. Um, I wonder if in universities now or screenwriting classes, these type of films have uh, kind of a name, um, this type of narrative because things just happen and you accept it. It's such a confidence and pace. One of the things I wanted to talk about is why there's so much action in the film and how the action represents and it's unique in the blockbuster sense with all the guns and everything in it. You kind of goes along with the matrix that it's not none of it's real. Every level where there is somebody fighting is either Cillian Murphy's actually most of the film, save for the one scene where Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hardy are in Mubasa and they are um kind of jumped by the corporation that is oh also I forgot about that. <laughs> I forgot about that part. They were there there the whole reason why this whole thing is set up is from a mission that they failed at in the beginning, which is never really explained and lends credence, I believe, to my idea that none of this stuff is real. Because also like Ken Wantanabe is like a uh He's he's he is in some senses his role in this film doesn't really make much sense why he's even on the inception team the powers that he has he is kind of in my opinion it would almost be as if Michael Caine was him and he's the forger so like there's an alternate kind of reality to the film in which perhaps Michael Caine set this whole thing up to incept Leonardo to let him believe that he could be with his children when he was never going to be allowed, he could never be with his children. And perhaps also because he felt that what he and his daughter did was against all the years of training that they had done previously. You know, it's a good thing that, uh, or is it Christopher Nolan isn't so into the, uh, trilogies and such because once you start getting into in uh, inception i mean talk about a thing that could have like a whole extended universe i mean think about just a movie that talks about the invention of the machine and all the different ways it could be i mean it's really pure genius he did kind of create a whole extended universe here that could at some point i don't know you never know people 2050, the Inception HBO TV show could be coming out or maybe even sooner than that. But um, I thought of that too, that perhaps there is an idea that Michael Caine is somehow in this because those two figures were very similar uh, in what they represented. And it, ne it didn't make much sense why Kenny was on the mission there. Not really at all. Um, 
There's also the idea that the entire film is about Leonardo DiCaprio and Ellen Page coming together as lovers. And that is why she is the new architect. And he has to let go of his wife in order to be with her. And in a sense, almost like he had turned his back on his children and she brings him back to his children. Um, that's, that's a, that's another reading I had though. There is that quick, interesting time when, um, they are in the one to the third level in the hotel doing the Mr. Charles routine before. No, is that the second level? That's the second level. Cause the third level, the first level is they're falling in the car. The second level is they're in the hotel. That's the Mr. Charles level. The right. So it's awake falling off the bridge in the car where Cillian, which is because that's the initial first level where Cillian Murphy's subconscious is fighting them. And they, they also encounter the train, but the train is actually from Cobb's um, memory, which is because he's the dreamer at that first level. The second level is the hotel and the dreamer at that level is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. The third dream level or fourth level, Cillian Murphy is the dreamer and what he his his unconscious, his subconscious creates the snowbound fortress of Browning Tom Berenger's mind in order to extract the secret that they, he shared with his father. So that level is actually Cillian Murphy is the dreamer. Um, and then limbo, when, when they go down into limbo again, from that level, they're back into Cobb's subconscious. So Cobb is actually the dreamer at two of the levels, the initial level, right? The whole dream is his, and the lowest level when they go out down into limbo to see his wife and they visit the entire world that they created. Interesting. Wow, man. I love this movie. So the idea that Ellen, but they had this quick, quick kiss between um, Ellen Page and Joseph Gordon-Levitt where, where the, the projections start noticing they're looking for the dreamer to attack the attack, the dreamer who is filling this artificial world. And he says, give me a kiss real quick. And then he says, well, it was worth a shot. And she kind of smiles. So there's like this little romance here. But then again, I often felt that Joseph Gordon Levitt was actually a representation of Cobb before the events of his wife. And perhaps so was Ellen Page. They were projections of his earlier self, right? Um, Ken was a projection of um, Michael Caine. And uh, I'm not quite sure who Tom Hardy, I mean, with Cillian Murphy and Tom Hardy, I could, I'd, I'd probably have to think about this a little bit further to get through it. But there's so many different interpretations to this film. I found it utterly fascinating. Um, the whole idea of the fighting and how these projections are fighting against not so since the architect is creating an artificial world inside someone's subconscious and it's then being filled by someone else or sometimes even that person. There's a strangeness that develops and the person, the person who's dreaming starts to realize who's hosting it, that this is not right. And it then attacks the dreamer who is the interior designer injecting it into it, right? Like if I was the mold and then DJ Tim Hines was the interior designer, but solo 
created the buildings. I start to realize that, hey, this isn't my idea. I my I didn't create that. What the hell's, why are you inside my mind? And then they attack the mind, right? Like a virus type of thing, the way they explain it. I thought that was really interesting. Um, that's where all the fighting comes from. So like in the Matrix, all the times people are being shot and everything, it's if one of our heroes is shot, it's like a psychological experience to them, not a physical one. Um, though they can, right? Because they're down so deep, if they get caught in limbo, they're going to die. That's why in the end, Leonardo DiCaprio has to rescue Ken Watanabe and bring him back up. And they all wake up on the plane. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt's like laughing because not only did Leonardo DiCaprio wake up, he was the first fucking one. He beat them to waking up after doing all this. He had to go have the conversation with his wife and then... The key is, how does he get from the conversation with his wife to washing up on the beach? How does he find him? But it's a dream state. So perhaps he can control that. Or he there was another journey because he too had been trapped there again for many, many years. Um, he looks a little older. That's one thing I was trying to figure out is how long a time... Does Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio experience psychologically from the point at which Ellen Page disappears and then when he finds uh, Ken Watanabe? Wow. My, this, this whole thing it get, gets my brain flowing. It was just such an interesting film. The music was great. Man, I almost want to kind of watch it again, but... It goes to show sometimes you do rewatch something and you really gain a lot from it. Uh, I had always loved this film. I, I think we may have talked about it on a podcast before, but I just watched it last night and felt like I understood it in a new and different way. And the love story at the heart of it, the idea that they created their own world that was so strong and when one of them left... They couldn't take, I mean, there's shades of codependency and depression. Uh, it's, it's a deep film. It really is. Um, and it made me think too about people, you know, this whole debate about cinema and the Marvel movies and the Star Wars. Inception is why people like myself or Scorsese or other people argue against all of these kind of big, huge tentpole films. Some people, it's hard to understand, but if you, if someone's ever having that argument, it's like, oh, come on, this is great. We, this is, people are creating these, you know, this is cinema. Yeah, okay, I guess. But it's about the realm of individual and original ideas. And only by being one of the most successful filmmakers in the history of film is Christopher Nolan even uh, could even bring this film to bear could even have. And it's not, you know, it's not even just sitting down and writing it's sitting down and writing, knowing it's going to happen. And he has the ability to do that. And yeah, I mean, he's a singular and unique talent and there's other people, Spielberg and such who have had the ability to create, their own IP in a sense. Um, but it's few and far between. And I really look forward to tenant and I look forward to, I mean, I'm a little depressed. I just read an article with Shane Carruth, the director of primer and upstream color, who said that after his next film, he's done. He was like, I'm done trying to get these movies made. I can't get, nobody wants to give me the money. Upstream color didn't make a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, and I, I say, I'm just shocked is like, maybe he's really hard to deal with. You never know behind the scenes. Right. Um, and you never know the difference some there is between, uh, being a business person and a creative person, because that's a huge part of being a director and a producer is the people are very business savvy. They're not just super creative people they also understand the business and how to work within the constraints of it you know like look at someone like taiki ytt or like that guy i mean look what he did with thor ragnarok and then look at all the other 
Jojo Rabbit and what we do in the show. Like the guy's just creating. He's just doing his thing. He he's obviously an incredibly gifted person, but he also has the the emotional fortitude to understand uh, and be able to deal with corporations and what you know the bottom line as well as the creativity. Um, but it's like, why is this streamer giving Shank just, Hey, Shank Ruth, here's $50 million. Go make whatever the fuck you want, dude. Primer is like one of the best movies ever made. <laughs> it was so original and crazy. Um, but hats off to Christopher Nolan. This film, uh, is, I, I absolutely loved it. And it's fantastic that there is the ability for something new and different like this to come out. And I mean, again, though, not taking away from his sig- singular talent, um, but I feel like that's going to happen anyway. As as a digression here on this uh, pod, you know, recently the uh, the United States government has taken steps to relax uh, all constraints on corporations. Uh, one of these being that the studios are now going to be allowed to buy movie theaters and own not only the means of production, but distribution completely from beginning to end, which is not a good thing, but it does make me think whether or not as people, as some people who are hardcore capitalists always argue that the market corrects itself and it'll figure it out and, you know, there'll be people who don't want to go to the Disney experience theater. Cause I've already talked about this. I think they're going to do this. Like every town's going to have a Disney experience theater. And when you go and see star Wars, there's people dressed up in costume, you know, like it's an experience. It's not just a movie and they're, they can afford to do it because it's going to be like a little Disney world everywhere. And then everyone will do that. Right. Sony, you know, whatever company's left, does Disney own everything? Um, But then there'll be people who want to see these second run movies. But unfortunately, as we're seeing, when these companies are bought, what's bought with them is all of the other art films that were made too. So like Disney is now holding back a lot of classic films from running in second run theaters. Hopefully there'll be people out there fighting the good fight that that this changes um, because I know we have a lot of people, a lot of listeners too, like to go to a theater and see an older film in a, in, in a theater as if it was coming out that week, right? You like the theater experience. Hey, I just went to the movies. I'm with you now. Uh, I almost went to see, um, actually I was going to go see knives out this week, but it's not playing early enough for me to make it still. I needed like a 10 o'clock showing cause every movie is like two and a half hours now, plus 45 minutes of previews. I need to block out like three hours. I got to pick the kid up at two. So it needs to start at like 10. Um, and it wasn't, but hopefully I think when it gets to the second run theater or in town, it will, and I'll go see knives out. Um, but maybe that will happen and there will be people that don't want to go to the Disney theater and, and that will just be known where you go to see, you know, the premiere of Mandalorian plus rise of Skywalker in a double feature, you know, with a Q and a via video feed with all the actors or whatever that you pay an extra 50 bucks for. Um, and it's in their contract and then they start and then there's a sag after strike because of it. <laughs> but, uh, and then there'll be second run or there'll be independent theaters again, you know, um, I don't know if that's going to happen. We'll see. Uh, It's a nice dream. But um, a film like sitting down and watching Inception really opened my eyes to that kind of idea of someone out there creating their own world, their own new universe. Like with all these Star Wars, everybody's talking about what are they going to do with Star Wars? I don't know. How about just do something totally different? I don't, you know, how about Jedis who don't fight? I don't know. How about that? <laughs> like Something doesn't explode. I don't know. That's just a crazy thought. But I'm going to counteract myself since I'm uh, turning this into a ramble cast. I also just rewatched Aliens. And look what you have there. A film, Alien, made um, by Ridley Scott on a whim 
um, had come off of, if I remember correctly, he had a minor hit. Uh, he just convinced someone at the studio to make this movie. It was, you know, sci-fi was getting more popular. I mean, it's really, if you look at Alien, it's a horror movie. Um, years later, the movie is a commercial success. People liked it. Years later, James Cameron, right, off of Terminator, is brought in to make the sequel IP, which I'm railing against, but it turns into what I consider to be probably the greatest action movie of all time. I I mean, Aliens to me is just like a perfect movie. I watched it again and I was like, this movie is perfect. At no point was I bored. There's an interesting thing you can tell. um, I can't tell yet with Inception, but because I know so much about Aliens and watch the the behind the scenes shit, like I now I know where all the missing parts are is like when they, when they're running away and they're going from the refinery area and they're trying to um, meet up with the shuttlecraft and an alien sneaks onto that and it crashes. How do they get from out in the middle of nowhere back to the building with Bishop? <laughs> but then you know that there was like other stuff shot. Um, but Aliens, what an incredible film here, James Cameron. But again, that was IP, right? But like in this, in the way with Thor Ragnarok, they let him loose. I mean, Aliens is a military, it's like a war movie. And Alien is a horror movie. It's totally different films. That's why, I mean, the other, it's not even worth talking about any of the other films. I'm sure there's people who have, I like this one or whatever, but as insofar as an auteur-driven film, Aliens is that in spades. I mean, it is a James Cameron film. His freaking sexual obsession with guns. Like that guy is freaking like, he just must sleep with gun. He like, he's the type of guy you say like, look at that gun over there. And he's like, that's a Colt 45 metaphor with the two with a grip and an iron. And I mean, like he, like all this stuff, you see that same thing, like an avatar. Every time somebody's like, lock and load. They're like, <laughs> they're like you look at the gun, and then you watch the special features and you're like, we turn, you know, we did the, we went to the greatest gunsmith ever. Cause I, uh, the other day, uh, Perry and I watched true lies, which I, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know. Does it hold up? Nah, really? <laughs> it's not, not that good. Not that good of a movie. I kind of fell asleep a couple times. Um, Tom Arnold, eh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't know. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is great, but even her role, like it's kind of supposed to be some kind of like anti-masculinity screed, but in a sense, it's like, it can't help but be that because it's Cameron and that's just who he is. You know, that's just the guy just loves guns and submarines and like talking tough. Um, I remember reading this article about somebody visiting his house when Avatar was being made and like he had like local sheriffs doing target practice in the backyard or something. <laughs> just I don't know, man. That guy is like, that's just, his movies are great, but he is like on a military tip that is very, uh, it's very interesting too because he looks like the nerdiest dude you ever met. Uh, and he loves deep sea diving. But anyway... Um, that kind of stuff is in true lies too. Like there's a helicopter sequence and, um, and then they bring in a, um, uh, what is it? A carrier jet that can take off from stand from standing still, like from still position. I'm not, I don't know all this stuff. Um, I think it's called a carrier jet, right? Cause it can take off like an aircraft carrier or something. I don't know. But, um, it's flying around and it becomes a focal part of the film. And I'm like sitting over there laughing. And my wife is like, why are you laughing? And I was like, I could just imagine how much time and effort James Cameron put into realistically depicting this aircraft and like 
all the shots inside of it. And he probably learned how to fly one. And like, it's like this Tom Cruise level of dedication for like a dumb movie about Arnold Schwarzenegger being a secret here. But then again, that's what, that's kind of the, the obsession film is obsession. Um, and, uh, inception made me think a lot about that. And then watching obsession, true, uh, uh, obsession, um, inception, true lies, aliens, you just see how the, you know, these different stories are created. And then again, to get back to that point, inception being like a wholly unique IP. And here you have, um, aliens, being now it's like done to death aliens versus predators which actually i kind of liked i remember i read some there was a great comic or a book alien versus predator that i really enjoyed uh and what it's become and even like damon lindelof getting into aliens and all that kind, which prometheus the ideas i love the movie is not that great but the the part that damon brought to it i thought was great um but i guess what it goes to show is just allowing creativity so who knows what will happen with all these theaters and all that. But I totally digressed. I don't give a shit. This is the podcast you're getting. I hope you enjoyed it. That was me talking about Inception just off the cusp. Um, I don't know. Uh, if anyone has any ideas about it, email me. I'm, I'm interested in talking about it more. Just a really interesting film. And, and, and man, Leonardo, what a fucking actor this guy is. I mean, really. I just saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well. Catch me. I start thinking about all the films he's been in. And I know that he's like the heartthrob and it's Leonardo and blah, blah, blah. But God damn, does this guy not commit 100%. And he made this movie. Just I got, I, you always feel like he's like touching his chin and he's getting upset about shit. And you're just like, Leo, give me a hug. I want to give the guy a hug. I know if I gave him a hug, he'd probably like come up to my waist, but I'd say, come here, little guy. Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> don't worry, Leo. We're going to dream together. We'll have, don't dream it's over. Felt like Solo was with me. All right, everybody. Peace out. <laughs>